0: I promised you something last week and I fulfilled that promise. I said to you that our lesson last week was so important. I felt that I could not do justice in one lecture of 30 minutes and that I would transcribe that lesson and bring it to you as a paper presentation. I can't do anything in moderation Once I got started, I couldn't get stopped. (laughs) And here it is. It turned out to be a booklet. This is the position paper based on John 5, probing the connection between faith, judgment, and eternal life. This was last week's lesson. I have prepared it in a manuscript form. The trilogy of faith, judgment, and eternal life with bookends on either end to keep it from spreading out too far and losing the focus of the lesson itself. There's a copy for everybody over here. Take one, read it. If you have any questions or observations, we'll take the early part of the lesson time next week and answer any question that you might have. I would not have put the time in doing this if I had not felt that this is one of the most important segments of the Bible, this one chapter, covering everything that one needs to know if one is to be a follower of Christ. I entitled it, Simply Put, which simply means it is very simply written, not a theological word in there. Now, Wayne, I know a few theological words from seminary (laughs) but I don't know how to spell them. (laughs) So as a result you won't have any trouble understanding what I have written here. My son Wesley put a book a copy of my book just sitting here thinking in his uh, reception room at his office and patients coming in then have a chance to look through the book one old farmer in Scott County fell in love with that book. He couldn't read enough. So Wesley gave him a copy. My family gets together every Sunday night and have dinner together. And Wesley said last Sunday night that this old farmer came in for his uh, uh, appointment. And he said, I think I said that my son gave him a copy. If I didn't, my son gave him a copy. He said, I love your dad's book. He thinks exactly the way I think. <laughs> the only trouble is he's educated, and I'm not, and I have to keep a dictionary beside the book so I'll know what he's talking about. <laughs> well, believe me, you won't have to use a dictionary because I have reduced this as simply as it can be reduced in terms of understanding, and I think that if you will read it seriously that you will find that you have a far greater comprehension upon what it means to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Over here next to the door, there's a copy for every one of you. I uh, started out to be a couple of sheets. I told the printer to put a hard back on it so it wouldn't get limp and you'd be tempted to throw it away. <laughs> you'd be more likely to put it on your bookshelf. Thank you, <coughs> Today, of course, follows through on last Sunday's lesson. This is a period in the life of Jesus when he is trying to reveal to the people who are his hearers that he is bringing to them the word from heaven. Not words of my making, but these are God's own words. In the book of John, there are seven metaphors that Jesus uses to describe who he is. If ever there was a teacher who was skilled in communications, certainly it was Jesus. He confronted the world with the wisdom of God, and those with whom he talked mainly were the common, ordinary, uneducated people. How do you communicate great truths to minds that are not skilled in conversation and understanding. He did it the way that any good teacher did. He took the profundity of his thoughts and presented them in the understanding situations, descriptions, that was a part of their lives. He said, I'm bread. Everyone who heard him say that I am bread knew immediately the importance of bread. Man cannot live by bread alone, but he must have bread to live. Our lesson writer points out that in every society there is a dependence upon bread. Depending on where you live, the kind of bread that uh, the table is set with for your enjoyment. Bread... plays a part in the whole story of the life of Jesus. In the beginning, when Jesus came up out of the water, having been baptized and went into the wilderness, the tempter said to him, turn these stones into loaves of bread, knowing full well that if Jesus were willing to use his miraculous abilities to reach people, that they would come to him to get the bread not for what he really had to give to them. The tempter had more in mind than just making Jesus satisfy his hunger. Substitute bread for the living truth. Jesus rejected that idea. He would not turn stones into bread. He would not use his ability to do miraculous things, to draw people. He wanted the untarnished truth from God to be the one focus by which people would understand how they could know God. No diversions. When he began his ministry coming out of the wilderness had progressed far along in his preaching There was that occasion which precedes our lesson material in the book of John where he found himself beside the Sea of Galilee. He had performed miracles and words of his miraculous abilities began to spread. And as word spread, the people began to gather. There was a great multitude of people who gathered there by the Sea of Galilee because word came to them that Jesus was there they wanted to see this miracle worker when Jesus saw the people gathering in great numbers the lesson writer said that there were 5,000 men in addition to those 5,000 were the women and children Jesus moved up onto the side of the hill and the people gathered around him. Jesus was compassionate it was time to eat no one had food the people were uncomfortable He turned to Philip. Now Philip was a resident of that particular area. He would know where the restaurants are. He would know where you could get food. And Philip was the one to whom Jesus turned and said, where can we get food for this number of people? And Philip said, if there were food to be had, we don't have money to buy it. Think what it would cost to feed this many. While he was demurring because of the financial graphics of it, Andrew, standing nearby, said, there is a little boy over here who has five barley loaves and three fishes. What Andrew might have thought in passing that word on to Jesus, we have no idea, but Jesus picked up on it. Barley loaves, the crudest kind of grain in bread, the most common bread that one could find. Jesus took the barley loaves and the fish and he blessed it and he passed it out and everybody was fed. The people were so overwhelmed by what he had done. He had fed all of these people with that small amount of food with 12 baskets taken up of the leftovers. Jesus knew that he was in a precarious situation. They were ready to make him king. Look what he had done. So he slipped off to get away from them because John said he was fearful that they would try to force him into becoming king. He didn't come for that purpose. He wasn't ready to face that challenge. So he slipped away from them. When evening came, the disciples crossed the lake to the other side. Jesus joined them. In the course of doing so, that beautiful story of Jesus walking on water is recorded. They went to the other side. The people didn't know that they had left. And so the next morning, they all gathered together again to be with Jesus, and he wasn't there. They figured that he had gone to the other side. So they took the boats and went to the other side. And when they came, Jesus said, I know why you're here. You want me to feed you that simple they were not coming to hear his word they were coming to get free food and they said Moses fed the people from the bread of heaven and he said there would be another prophet who would come they would do miraculous things prove that you are who you said you was by providing us food the way that Moses provided food (coughs) And Jesus said, you have latched on to a truth. I am bread, which is the substance of life. And I did come from heaven as the manna came from heaven. But the difference is manna, the bread from heaven, satisfied the body. I am the bread that came from heaven to satisfy the soul. "'Whoever eats the bread that I am will never hunger again. "'Whoever eats this bread will have the substance of heaven within them.'" And they began to grumble among themselves. This wasn't what they had wanted to hear. And Jesus, knowing their grumbling, said, "'You must eat my flesh and drink my blood if you are to be my disciples.'" Nothing could be more repugnant to the mind of a Jew than drinking one's blood. Blood was the very life of the individual. The ancient Jew equated with blood with life. And to think that here was one who was speaking about drinking the very thing that they saw as the giver of life. They found that very distasteful and began to grumble even more. And Jesus said, I am the bread that once you eat, you will never hunger again. Jesus established in this time with the multitudes that if you are to understand the nature of the body's need for bread, you will understand the nature of the soul's need for what he had come to bring. I am the bread from heaven. Eating my bread, you will have heaven in you. Eating my bread, you'll never hunger again. Eating the manna, once the manna has been eaten, you're hungry again. Once you've eaten this heavenly bread, you'll never hunger again. The people just could not accept what Jesus was saying to them. They had latched on the idea that here is one who is going to lead us, who's going to give us food whenever we get hungry, who's going to do our bidding, who'll be our king. And what did they do? They turned and left him, standing in the presence of the miracle of heaven itself, an effort in order to interpret the mind of God and what he is offering to the people. The people turn and leave. Jesus was disappointed, of course. And he turned to his disciples and he said, are you going to leave me too? And what a response of confidence. Where can we go? (laughs) They stayed because they had nowhere to go. And so Jesus, knowing full well that the temple authorities were ready to arrest him and to stop his ministry, slipped back into Galilee where he would be safe and he went undercover. Remained there until the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles that was to be held in Jerusalem. And John said that his brothers said, If you're who you say you are, you ought to let people know about it. We're going into Jerusalem for the Feast of the Tabernacles. Go with us. There will be pilgrims from everywhere who have converged upon Jerusalem. This will be your opportunity to say to all of them what you've been saying around here. And then John adds these words. His brothers did not believe He was who he said he was. One of you brought up last week the fact of his family being incredulous that Jesus was anything more than a brother. But here is John's response to their urging him to go to Jerusalem. They did not believe that he was who he said he was. And they were goading him to go to Jerusalem and Pronounced the thing that they themselves had rejected. But Jesus said to his brothers, no, I'm going to stay here. It's too dangerous for me to go to Jerusalem. The time for my being turned over to the hand of my enemies has not yet come. I'm going to stay here where it's safe. But there was a magnetism about the temple in Jerusalem to Jesus, and he just couldn't stay in Galilee. And so John says that when the Others had gone on to Jerusalem. He decided to follow, and he went to Jerusalem as well. But he stayed undercover while he was in Jerusalem. He made no public appearances. He just wanted to be there. But there's nothing like having a message to proclaim and nobody to proclaim it to. Jesus couldn't remain quiet. He couldn't stay in the shadows. So John said that halfway through the festival... That Jesus came to the temple and began to teach. What he was trying to tell them on that occasion was simply I am authentic. I am the Son of God. I do have the Word of eternal life. I am the bread of life. Now, those who were educated among those who were at the temple began to say among themselves, What a learned man! Everything that he says shows that he is a man of great learning, yet he didn't go to school like we did. Where did he get that kind of learning? And they began to lean a little bit toward accepting the fact that Jesus was very unusual, that he was unique, until he started making claims once again of divinity. And then they said, this is blasphemy. And they left in order to find ways in which they could still him. Jesus continued to talk among the people there in Jerusalem. It wouldn't be long until he faced the time of his arrest... More than anything else, he had to convince the people that he was the one sent from God to bring reconciliation, that he was the bread of life. You can find it nowhere else except in me. John makes one statement here that fits in with what you'll find in the booklet here when he says, no one comes to me unless the Father Bids him come. That has been a sore spot for so many people. But that's what provenient grace is. Provenient grace is what John Wesley called that small smoldering of grace that is alluring, that lures us to God. We wouldn't be lured to God if we had just an objective understanding of God. With all of the other things in the world that are equally aggressive in getting our attention, why would we bother to give our lives to someone who is nothing more than an object of our intellect? But there is a yearning because of the presence of prevenient grace, a yearning for something that only God can satisfy. St. Augustine said, Our souls are restless until we find our rest in thee. And that is the lure of God toward the consummation of our lives with his, with him. And so Jesus said, unless God lures you, you cannot come. This was to show them that this is more than just simply an intellectual decision. It is a matter of Merging together the personality of the individual with the nature of God himself. I am the one who can do this. If you will eat of me, I am the bread of heaven. If you will drink of me, I am the water from heaven. Then you can be reconciled to God and you will never hunger and thirst for meaning in your life again. He tried to convince them, but they would not or could not comprehend anything of that nature. And so he blended back into the shadows. And then John concludes by saying, on the last day of the festival, he came out again to the temple and he shouted to the people his last challenge to come and to drink and to eat and then there was an interesting statement with which the lesson concludes the spirit had not come upon the people because Jesus had not yet returned to heaven we talk about the coming of the spirit we're talking about it in the booklet it comes with the death of Christ It is the death of Christ that releases the Spirit of God to come into the world. So, this is a continuation of our lesson of last week that you'll find in the brochure. And those of you who were absent last week, you've got one up on everybody else. You didn't have to be here and you're going to get the lesson (laughs) anyway. Well, this is the crux of today's lesson. Jesus is trying to impress upon the people that. I am the one who came from God. You cannot understand the nature of me other than to say, you know what bread is all about. You depend on bread for life. You depend upon me for eternal life. And this bread will satisfy every need that you might have spiritually. Any question on today's lesson? Or comment. I have a question. Good, Bill. Uh, when you say Jesus is God, and, and you know, God is Jesus, explain that. I mean, and he says he comes you your sins and at the right hand of God, and, and but Jesus is, that would be kind of a crazy question, but I don't know the answer to it. <laughs> well, I'll give you the answer. I've got it. And I gave it two or three weeks ago when you were absent. And at that time, I said, you won't find a biblical scholar or a theologian anywhere that will agree with me. But accept this for fact. Jesus was conceived by Mary from the Holy Spirit, which is God's presence in the world. When God comes down to earth, he comes as the Holy Spirit. There's not two. It's God, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being the form of God when he comes into the world. He consummated life with Mary, saying, that I'm sending my son into the world, I will be in him, and I will reconcile the world to myself. Jesus was a product of a sexual union between Mary and the Holy Spirit that on nine months later on Christmas, he was born. That's when Jesus came into being. He was God because God was his father. Genetically, he was everything that God was, just like I'm everything that my father was. Everything that my son gets from me, genetically. And he is God's son. But he's also a son of a woman. He's human. The early Christians explained it by saying, very God of very God, totally God. Very man of very man, totally man. There have to be some mysteries we can't explain, and that's one of them how he can be totally God and totally man, but he was. And so once he was born, then God took on another personage, and that was his son. Jesus acted out in the world on behalf of God, with the wisdom of God, but as a living human being. He hurt, he hungered, he wept, all of the emotions that we have. He was one of us. That's what the gospel writers said. He became one of us. On his death, then that one great miracle that's not explained in my book, it's the only thing that's not explained. Everything is explained to that one. How God reconciled the world through the death of Christ, we don't know. Theologians have expressed opinions. One said he paid a ransom. Another said he was a sacrifice. As sacrifices were made. Any number, but we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Only that through his death, we were reconciled. That is, he died for our sins. Our sins separate us from God. He died so that sins could no longer separate us. We have to accept it. It doesn't just happen. You have to say, yes when he offers it to you and on accepting it then it is as though you never sinned you're totally sinless before god jesus having accomplished that went back to heaven and he sits at the side of god his son and dad sitting side by side god and the holy spirit are one and jesus is his son (laughs) I'll answer your question. Thank you, yes, sir. You would I thought the Bible said that Jesus had always been. <clears throat> he was always been because he became a part of the Father. My son has always been through me, through my father, genetically, all the way back to the very beginning. The substance of who I am is the substance of who he is. Jesus, when he became the son of God, And the Bible says he's the son of God. It's not my verbiage. He inherited from his father, just as we inherit from our fathers, everything from time beginning. The crux of it is he can't be both. He can't be God and God's son both. And he is God's son because we know he was born into the world. We know that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He wasn't with God as a part of God because the Bible simply says the begotten son of God. That means that God gave birth to him. How do you give birth to a child if it's yourself? You're giving birth to yourself. Max Stokes used to say, you've got to use your mind. I've never found anything in Scripture that I can't rationalize if I'm, if I'm willing to make my own interpretation. Yes. Isn't the coming of the Holy Spirit the completion of God's work? I mean, God. the fourth level is God, the Jesus, and then the coming of the Holy Spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit was at Pentecost, of course. Now there is a point in Scripture where it says Jesus brought the Holy Spirit upon his disciples but that is inconsistent with the statement that John makes that the Holy Spirit did not come into the world until Jesus had returned to heaven. But it was the act of his death through which grace came into the world. And grace is that one quality that reconciles us to God apart from works. We cannot achieve salvation through works, only through grace. All of this was our discussion last week, and it's in this book. See, I'm going to make you read that book. You're going to get an answer to all of your questions. We can talk about it next week. Yes? Uh, the first, in the beginning, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Tie that with your um, theology? Exactly the same. What was in Christ did not just come into being initially. He became of God's substance. Pick off the peace of God. It's been there from the beginning. Squeeze it into Jesus. Been there from the beginning. So Jesus is not a Johnny-come-lately because he is of the Father, and the Father is from the beginning. Would you say something about the first chapter of John in this regard? since it says he through him all things were created well the same principle that I just acknowledged now he became God in the world as his son and so the attributes of God everything that was an attribute of God was in Jesus the word from the beginning became flesh in Jesus so it isn't something separate from God it is totally God And totally man it's semantics really but what it amounts to is that jesus had the nature of god and everything that god is jesus was and is and it took a form apart from god when he became a union of humanity and god Jesus exists in heaven as an entity that did not exist before he came into the world. He is sitting now at the right hand of the Father to judge. He was not there as the son before. He became God's son at birth and he is sitting there and the substance is of the same of Father and son. But the humanity of Jesus Allows him to judge because I know I've been there, he said. I know what it's like to be hungry. I was hungry. I know what it's like to hurt because I hurt. And that's an element of God that would not be there because God could not experience it without experiencing it. It's like saying that can God create a stone so large he can't pick it up? If he hasn't experienced it, it's not something that he can vouch for because it's only intellectual but having done so then so jesus is a component of humanity and a component of god in one person to whom god has given the power of judgment and the power of salvation through jesus and his death we are reconciled to god not apart from jesus Reconciliation may come in other ways, but in the instance of Jesus, that is how God brought about reconciliation. Well, I'm taking up your announcement time. I'm sorry. Uh, this is yours. Now, please don't offer to pay for this. I paid for it out of my own pocket. That's to say, don't throw it away. <laughs> okay? Thank <laughs> you.